Well, welcome once again to A Voice in the Distance Ministries. As today we're going to take a uh, another source here of information from the Lord. Something very important out of the book of Acts in chapter 2. This is a special message today. Uh, we've been venturing through the Gospel of Luke, and I was led to uh, teach this particular uh, chapter out of the book of Acts, chapter 2. And it was in the title of this message, it is titled, How the Church Began and How It Must Continue. And in the title of this word, must, it was a capitalized, capital M-U-S-T, and underlined because it's not a past tense thing. It's something that's vital for its existence. But we can witness Another thing, and make another title of the church, how it began and how it has changed in today's standards, we could do that. And, and not always for the, uh, not necessarily for the better. But you see, we're not here to observe plastic. We're here to observe concrete. We're not here to observe counterfeit. We're here to observe authenticity. And I, w- I want to give you an example here. I heard about a guy who was speaking once who had a friend who was in the FBI here in the, in the United States who specialized in counterfeit money. And he was asked during that conversation, he says, well, how do you know when you have encountered counterfeit money? And he said that basically what we do is, is we study we study the real thing 90% of the time. The rest of the 10%, we observe what's counterfeit. But for 90% of the time, we're observing the real thing. And when you observe the real thing, the counterfeit's going to be easily seen once you get a glimpse of it. So I found that to be very interesting in the observation of authentic money, an authentic bill versus a counterfeit one. You have to study the real thing and master that thing until you know what is what with it. You know, here what we do sometimes, it's funny, you might have noticed before that when you when you hand somebody cash at the register, they, they like to put it up to the light. And the reason being is because there's two things. If the bill, if you could see through the bill... You can see through it, number one, and then you you observe it by its true colors. And the Word of God does just that. And and so we're going to look at some very vital things in the in this short little chapter here. We're going to be reading in the Book of Acts. You know, I've, I've also there's other churches that I've known that have grown that grew and they grew strong. And they were asked by other churches, hey, what's your method of growth? You know, we, we want to observe everything you did. What's the secret? And the particular church I'm talking about says that we don't have one. Because the Holy Spirit is not a secret. He's a known thing. He's a known entity in our life. And, and, and there was a pastor who was, um, he's with the Lord now. And he was the pastor of this church that I'm talking about. And uh, he actually, it was uh, in, in Orange County in California. And he was, I heard him preaching a sermon once where he had a friend of his, another pastor friend of his in Phoenix, Arizona. And he said that uh, his pastor friend was telling him all of the stuff that they were doing in order to uh, try to draw people to the church. And he said they were doing everything. They were just going all out. They were... Um, they were calling everybody in the phone book. They were basically uh, putting out signs, uh, special lights, 
um, you know, the, the bounce houses, the concerts, the carnival atmosphere. And when it was all said and done, the pastor in, in California called him up and asked, oh, how did it go? And he says, well, <laughs> well, nobody else really came. He goes, there, there's one guy in his 80s who came back and, and he was a regular, uh, but we have to drive 18 miles to pick him up to come to church. <laughs> and as we will observe, and, and for us who have already observed, which church is the most effective? Is it a purpose-driven church? Is it a fundamental church? Is it a denominational church? Or is it simply a, a spirit-filled church? See, there's a lot of titles on churches nowadays. You know, community church, congregational church, family church, Bible church. I've actually heard someone once say, literally heard them say that I want a community church. I want this to be a community church. Well, what is a community church? See, I've been in many churches. I've been in many community churches. I've been in a, in a family church, in a Bible church I've been in. And if, if you have or are in a church, the purpose should be the same. If, you are, if you're a church, then what we're about to read is the standard for all. No matter what the title it is, it's been named on the church. And if we're able, if we're a Bible church, then the Bible better be taught. And, and, and the whole Bible, not just cherry picking what we like and don't like. And leaving out what we don't like. You know, any church that is not spirit filled will be a dead church. Because when, when a body dies, the spirit leaves. No spirit, no life. And before we start, I wanted to tell a true story about a church in Oklahoma. Um, a young pastor took over this church. And this particular church had a lot of strife in it between the members and whatever have you, and amongst other things that were going on. And he decided to have a funeral service for this church. <laughs> and so everybody was curious about it. So they ended up showing up. He said, funeral service for the church, come and, come and attend. He went all out. It was literally a funeral service. He had a big casket in there. And he decided to open the casket to have a viewing. And so he said, everybody, go ahead and walk by and take a look. And as, as they walked by the open casket, what they saw on the inside of the, ca the casket was a large mirror. The reflection of every member walking by and staring in the casket, which was the reflection of them of the death of their church. So I say, let's take a look at the blueprints of what God, of what our Lord and Savior built His church to be in, in Acts chapter 2. And we're going to be observing just verses uh, 40 through 47. But first, first uh, verse 40 to 42 says, And with many and other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Now, I was talking about Peter here uh, preaching on the day of Pentecost when this event happened. And, and this was a breakdown. It, this is the building blocks as, as there was a starting point. And, and before you build anything, you, you, you form and build a strong foundation. And in this, the, the beginning emphasis of the church, it was the teaching of the doctrine first, the, the word of God, the Bible. 
And, and the Lord didn't build his church on social compatibility. He, he built it on common truth. Social compatibility became normal when common truth was met first. But what it showed here first was the teaching of doctrine first, and then you had fellowship, you had the breaking of bread and prayer. These are the foundation and pillars of the original church. These were the blueprints of the church. And if you want to build a church, then you need to consult the architect, who was Jesus Christ. The plans are, the plans are in the word of God. That is the blueprint. See, the key to verse 42... In their strength was that they continued steadfast in the word, fellowship, prayer. All of these things, they continued steadfast. And steadfastness of the doctrine, they, they didn't dabble in the word of God, they devoured it. And, and those who came to the buffet table, you had some that picked a little and others took advantage and filled up. So who, who do you think was able to make it through the day? You know, the, the steadfast in fellowship, which is that Greek word we've heard before, koinonia. It's a relationship like that of your family. It's actually where we get the word communion from. But it's like a joyous family reunion. Every time gathered is what is being um, what was being said here in the blueprints, the word of God. Steadfast in breaking bread. Communion in the church. But also that, that family dinner amongst the saints. Sharing meals, breaking bread was a thing of unity. You know, the, the Jews would not eat with a Gentile or a tax collector because of its sacred setting. But Christ did. But we celebrate communion. And we eat together in that of unity. And last but not least, prayer. Our communication to God, our, our plumb line to the Lord. You know, Jesus himself said, where two or more are gathered in my name, I am in your presence. And a group that comes together in the Lord is a great accomplishment. Because all it takes is two to three in order to invite his presence. And I'd say there's about for, for a little over six years now, I've led a study with a, uh, with a group of, of a different religion even. Who wanted somebody just to come in and teach them the word of God. And for six years, we've been able to do that. Because they, they fell in love with, his, with the Lord. They fell in love with his word. And the reason that we've gone on this long is because of the Holy Spirit. But in that by following these verses in Acts chapter 2 is in which why the Bible study that I've been able to lead for six years with a completely different uh, um, a group has survived because of this. Koinonia with the following of the scriptures. And in verse 43 to 45, it continues, and it says here, and then it says, Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had needed. You know, it's, it's uh, neat because my son, I have a, a teenage son who was, who's 15 years old, and uh, him and I visited a church together. And, and you know, I, I don't visit too many other churches uh, for the most part because I was in the church that I was in for about 12 years. And my son had grown up in that church too. But the Lord had been really leading me just to come to this church. Uh, just to come over there. And I've known about this little church for years. I used to pass it all the time. I've seen it. And I, I knew who the pastor was, but I never, I've never met with him or anything. 
But the Lord had really been uh, just really showing me just to go over there. Just to worship. And I, and I wanted to be amongst uh, God-loving and fearing people. And my son, he told me, he's like, you know, Dad, I feel funny going to another church. Um, you know, because of how long he's been in the one we, we went to all those years. And I told him that the Lord had told me to, to come here. And I said, I, I told him, I said, if, if we go in there, and if we're greeted by them as if we've known them for years, then we're in the right place. And I'll tell you, we got hugs from probably about 98% of the people that were in that, bil- that little building that night. Something new, something exciting was forming here. It, it, was an, uh, it, it was an organic growth is what was being seen here in the book of Acts. The, the Jews, which is what they were by race and religion, were very hospitable to one another. But you see, now the bar was raised. Through Christ, they were a family versus a synagogue gathering where men and women were separated in the place. Uh, The rabbi would sit in a special chair and teach while the congregation stood. Men on one side, women on the other. But what we're seeing now is an organism that was referred to as the body of Christ. If, If they walked up the street and someone said... Hey, you going to synagogue? And they'll say, no, I'm going to church. And they'd say, say what? Because in the Greek word, it was called the ecclesia in the Greek, which means the called out ones. The, the synagogue in the Hebrew means the gathering. And, and to form a synagogue, it required ten men to start a synagogue when you were in a certain city. So there was rules in order to start a synagogue. Ten Jewish men had to be present. But with the church... The church required the Holy Spirit and willing and loving people of God to show up and assemble the body, making it a family, not a building with an organizational committee. And as I said earlier, the spirit-filled church was the effective church. You know, signs and wonders, which is only spirit-led, came to the apostles through the signs and wonders. All who believed were together, it said. The only thing I can say I did right in the church that I served in over those uh, that period of years was that when people went out uh, when I went out with people whoever it might be maybe the uh, the servers or whatever at a restaurant would automatically think that we were related by blood. They didn't know that we were um that we were just a church group. They they literally thought we were related. And and that is the one thing I can say that I did right over the years in in pastoral ministry. Was, was that when I went places with people, they thought we were related. And, and I love Romans chapter 12. It's a wonderful illustration on the gifts of service. And, and if you have the gift of teaching, let him teach. If you have the gift of leading, let him lead. And let him do it to the fullest. And it goes through this long line. But I'm, I'm going to go to Romans chapter 12 to, uh, to read... Uh, exactly what what it says after that, because there was some great exhorting after that. None of these could be accomplished without the continued instruction that Paul gave them in Romans chapter 12, verse 10 through 18. And I'm going to read that. And what it says is that after he says that um, if you have uh, these particular gifts, let him do it. But he says, here's the standard bearer, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. 
rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. And if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. And, and so that was the, that was the important uh, uh, information that Paul was giving us in Romans. He gave us the important information on, on how to, basically how to uh, uh, use our gifts. But there was a reason that those gifts were able to be uh, obtained. They couldn't be obtained and be effective without what we just read in that particular group of verses in Romans. Now, as we continue, we're going to look at verses 46 to 47 and where it stops. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. You know, it's amazing to see that earlier in Acts, that the church of Christ in chapter 1, verse 15, started, it started with 120 people. That's how many that started, right after, during the, the time of Christ, okay, 120 people. But then the Holy Spirit arrived and then 3,000 were baptized in the name of the Lord. But notice that it said that the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. The Lord added to the church. I've, I've always wondered why church leaders say that they added to the church. Uh, some, I've heard some like to brag about the fact that there was, oh, we had 20 people, but now there's 2,000 that I grew. <laughs> and I heard, I heard something funny once, that if, uh, if someone wants to draw people to their church, if you want to be the one to draw somebody to your church, well then, I don't know, set it on fire or something. You'll have quite a big crowd show up. You'll have police and fire department. Many will be there watching from the parking lot. That is the only way that we can draw a crowd to a church. But they still met daily in the temple. They never disbanded themselves from Jewish brothers and sisters. But there was a dislike for those who followed Christ. There was opposition. So they gathered in their homes and then eventually it became the norm because the, the Romans actually destroyed the temple in 70 AD. So the houses, the houses that they met in were the original church. It was designed to worship God together, to make God known, to equip the saints, to, to share our lives together. Because again, I've said it before, I'll continue to say it, that church and ministry is not within the confines of church architecture. When you look at the book of Colossians, uh, the book of Ephesians and Galatians, they were the church of Colossa, of, of, of Ephesus, Galatia. And it was, it was the cities, but many homes in the cities is what formed the churches. You know, and I also look at the book of Revelation, the very last book of the Bible. In Revelation chapter 2, 
the Lord spoke to seven churches, which were all located in Asia Minor, which is what we know of Turkey. And see, I've taught and studied in depth on these seven churches. I've, I've actually taught them twice in different groups. And, and two out of the five churches, out of seven there, there was two out of them that were good. The rest of the five had some issues in the Lord's sight. And, and, and there was hundreds of churches around at the time. But these seven churches were chosen as representatives of the churches of today. And it, it would be neat to uh, go over them again. It's actually very fascinating. Who knows, maybe on a voice in the distance here, we'll have a special uh, special teaching on the seven churches. It really is a fascinating thing because you could actually take a look at those seven churches and when you do the, when you do the background study on them, you can almost look at their attributes and you can almost look at yourself and, and wonder to yourself, which church do you belong in out of those seven? But there was something again. There was, there were, there were rewards to be given for every one of them if they stayed a particular course. You know, when we go into a community, when you go into a condominium complex, an apartment complex, or whether it be a mobile home park, whatever it is, what you see is you see a lot of houses or or living quarters. But how many of them are actual homes? On every mile, you see a lot of church buildings. But how many are organisms over organizations? See, the church is to be the most blessed institution on earth. It's not to be a common institution of cultural worldliness. But it's supposed to be the most blessed one on earth. And i got to tell you... The worst things that we could ever encounter is division in the churches. That grieves the Holy Spirit like no other. And like I said before, when I used the example in the beginning of this sermon regarding the pastor who had the funeral service, there had to be recognition that that was caused by the people in there. You know, I've always said before that the the Lord has always made it known that we're to be like like little children in order to enter the kingdom. And it's amazing because when I look at churches throughout throughout history, in the churches I've seen in my own personal experience, I have never seen, and I've said it before, but I have never seen divisions caused from a children's ministry. It's normally been from the, from the leadership at times or maybe from certain people in the crowd. And that's why I understand when the Lord said that we are to be childlike, not childish. And when the Lord put that, that young child on his lap, I'm, I would have, I'd be under the assumption that he was probably close to a toddler's age because we have to think of the innocence of the age. And, and how, how are we like that? You know, how, how are we like that at times? Do we have selfish desire? Or do we have the Lord's desire for, for other people and for Him first and foremost? It has to be for Him first in order for anything to survive. Because if we love something or someone else more than we do God, then that means that God has a rival.
And God does not lose battles. And, and what's amazing here, to give you a better example, over in Northern California, we have uh, what's called redwood trees over there. I've actually hiked through them. They're very fascinating. Sequoias are actually uh, very similar as well. These trees are gigantic, but their roots are not very deep. And, and it's strange because you'd think that those roots would go very deep. They don't grow very deep at all. If they were far, if these trees were far apart from each other, they would actually blow over in a very good wind. They could be knocked down quite easily. These trees that are hundreds of feet tall. But the root system in these trees is interesting because they don't grow deep. What they do is they grow side by side, and their roots interlock with each other, kind of like a chain link. It's like they're holding hands. And, and the redwood trees are placed very close together because they were able to withstand a storm, a windstorm together. By God's creation, of course. <laughs> but what an analogy. What an analogy. And, and to end on this, and, and not when it comes to, to need and, and how, how, much, how much of a need is there, right? We all need the Lord. Everyone needs the Lord. It, it doesn't matter how much money you have or how much you don't have. Whether you're in the best of health or in the worst of health. Or whether you live in the most wealthiest city or whether you're, you're living around the, uh, the midst of the homeless. The need for Christ is the same. We all need Him equally. The question is, is how much do you want Him? And how much do you want the Lord, how much do you want Him through the good and the bad times? See, the key to getting closer to God is to get farther from ourselves. I love what it says in, in the Bible where it says, Draw near to Him, and He will draw near to you. He wants you to draw near to Him. Well, one of the first steps that you can take is to receive Him. See, a lot of people, a lot of people know of God. They know of the Lord. They know of the, uh, of, of the Lord's time on the cross. They've heard the story that He died for the sins of the world, but they never knew Him personally. This is an opportunity to get to know Him personally because this is an adoption system to where you receive Him as Lord, Savior, and Father, and He receives you as a child. Which means when your time is up, and when you and when your time when it's your time to die, you have a place in heaven with him for all of eternity. And and who wouldn't want that? Unfortunately, people deny him all the time. Whether it be due to disbelief or maybe they just don't want a lord over their lives. They want to be the god over their lives, and he he gives you that option. It grieves them because you don't get to go to heaven that way. I didn't make that up. That is what he said. That is that is his rules. That is his that was his design. It's just my job to be able to teach it and to believe it. And it's your calling to believe it and to receive him. And if you feel led, 
if you feel led to receive Him first and foremost, because you can go to church for years and years, and it, it could mean absolutely nothing, if you haven't received Him as your Lord and Savior personally. I've heard of people that have gone to churches for, gosh, 10, 15 years, and they never received the Lord. That's amazing, too. But they do it. They, they resist. They fight. They just want to be amongst... They want to be amongst the light, but they don't want to walk in the light. But it doesn't work that way. We must be of Him in order to be with Him. And our recognition of relationship can be done through a prayer of acceptance. If you want to receive Him now as Lord and Savior, you could repeat this prayer after me. Dear God, please forgive me, Lord. Please forgive me of all of my sins. As I confess to you, Lord, that I am a sinner. And I ask, Lord, for you to receive me, Lord, as one of your own. As I receive you as my Father, as my Savior and my Lord. Help me to walk with you all of the days of my life, Lord, and guide my path. As Father, now I am of you. Through faith I receive you. Through faith, I thank you for dying for my sins on that cross. And Lord, I receive you now, Lord, in my heart. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, it was a short little uh, section, but it was powerful. It was a powerful section that that we must remember to to keep walking in. So I want to continue to invite you as we uh, go through the Gospels so you could get a a better glimpse of our Lord. But this look in the church, you know, people go to church all the time wondering what, why, and how. Well, we have the blueprints right in our hands. We get to know the architect. Now it's time to know the author of his word. So I pray you'd receive him again and walk with him all your days. May God bless you.